1: My pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, the IRS has been much in the news the last couple of weeks. One, for offering you a deal on taxes you owe, and two, charging you more money. On taxes you owe. It completely confused people. So I'm going to explain both to you and and how they work and also tell you about scamsters among our midst about taxes you may owe. So also in the news, there's been a lawsuit against Vanguard over its target retirement funds, target date funds, whatever you want to call them. It's been moving through the courts and we've had a number of very angry people we've heard from about how Vanguard messed up on this. I wish I could go testify against Vanguard, even though they're one of my favorite children. But I want to explain when it's appropriate to buy a target retirement fund or target date fund where you work and when it's not. So let's talk IRS. The IRS is doing something that is so unusual it has never as best I know, ever happened. When you don't pay the taxes you owe, every month it goes by, you owe more penalty for the taxes you haven't paid. And the IRS is looking back in the way back machine to back during COVID. And there are a lot of people who didn't pay their taxes. And the IRS is actually giving you forgiveness of, interest penalties that you owe, late payment penalties, and the amount of collectively a billion or so dollars. I mean, this has never happened that I know of. Maybe an accountant can say, well, you forgot what happened in 1957 or whatever. No, I have no idea if this ever happened. It's roughly 5 million people who owe taxes from 20 and 21 that are getting forgiveness from the IRS for the penalties that you owe, but with a special requirement. And this is why when people owe back taxes, they usually try to hide from them and ignore them and figure it'll never come back to them. The IRS is giving you a special incentive, the waiver of these penalties, if you get them paid what you owe them by April Fool's Day. This is not a bad April Fool's joke. This is actually a good thing for April Fool's Day. And I wanted to tell you as soon as I could so you would have the months between now and April Fool's Day to get caught up with the IRS for these two tax years and pay them the money that you might have owed from 20 and 21. Now, if you're owing the IRS a huge pile of money from those years which the IRS defines as more than 100000 you don't qualify for this program. But remember, April Fool's Day is your deadline. So normally you think, well, April, wouldn't it be April 15th? They didn't do April 15th. They did April 1st, before April 1st, I should say. So get it done. Now, there's a lot of phony baloney stuff floating around on social media right now. And on websites and on YouTube and all that, with people who say, who have taken this information about this program and tried to pretend that they're going to be your tax hero and that you need to hire them to do this stuff, you don't. And who knows, those con artists may just take the money that you were trying to pay the IRS and run off with it. So avoid any of these tax relief con artists out there and just do what you need to with the IRS. If you've got a mess on your hands with taxes, you don't go hire one of these con artist companies. You go hire a legitimate tax person. If you owe huge money, like the people who owe more than a hundred grand, you go hire a tax attorney. Otherwise you hire, and I've talked about this before, an enrolled agent or a CPA who does tax. Now, one other thing. Over the last few years, I have pretty complicated tax situation. I have not paid what are known as quarterlies to the IRS, quarterly estimates that business owners have to pay, people that are self-employed and all that, because over the last many years, interest rates were so low that the IRS charged that it was better for me, cheaper for me, just to pay the IRS their penalties than it was to do the quarterly filings and do all that and send them the money every 90 days and all that. Not anymore, because the IRS interest rate has been reset at 8%, the underpayment penalty. So if you you know drive for Uber or you do anything where you've got 1099 income or you own your own business and you just figure it out at the end of the year, that figuring it out gets much more expensive if you don't pay what are called your quarterlies, your quarterly estimates. And you pay those you will avoid the 8% interest that they're going to charge. But if you don't, they're going to charge you so your tax bill is bad enough, then you have to pay 8% more for the penalties. So please, don't do what I've done for years and I don't do any more. Pay them what you owe them with the estimates throughout the course of the year. It's pretty simple. They just want money. The form to send it in, takes about 30 seconds to fill out.
0: All right, we'll go to questions. Natalie in Georgia says, I started 2024 by freezing my credit. I also tried to freeze my sons, but the process seems so crazy risky. Putting a form in the mail with all their personal details, like copies of social security card, birth certificates, current and previous addresses in a single physical envelope, Does not seem smart, especially when you have warned us all about even mailing checks. Is it really worth the risk? What are your thoughts and recommendations? And thanks for all you do. Hope you all have a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2024.
1: Okay, so thank you, and same to you. And doing a credit freeze for someone 1 to 16 years old is a pain, 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 pain. And the very process could create the identity theft issues you're trying to prevent, which you very wisely pointed out. So there is an alternative that is really crazy that I figured out last year. You may uh, you missed me saying it. Do you remember what I suggested? Mm-mm. I suggested you add your kid as an authorized user. Even if they're one-year-old, you add them as an authorized user on your credit card. You know, obviously give them the physical card. Then they have an identity with the credit bureau, and then it's much easier to freeze their credit. The problem is with the credit bureaus is they don't have a file on most kids. So they're having to manually pay contractors who knows where in the world, who knows what background checking they've done on any of them, who suddenly have all your personal information on your kid in their hands and you're hoping they're going to be honest and they're not going to use that information to steal your identity, it's a terribly broken system. And that's the only suggestion I've had to get that file already created. Still doesn't mean the bureaus are going to cooperate, but it's the right way to short circuit this because the whole idea is to get that file created in the first place.
0: Mike in Pennsylvania says, Hi, Clark and Company. I recently bought a pug puppy, and as you may know, they have many health issues with that breed. I'm looking for pet insurance that'll help me with future costs. Plus, I'm a first-time dog owner, too, and any cost-saving tips you have would be appreciated.
1: First of all, pugs are the most wonderful, family-friendly dog ever. And yes, pugs do have a variety of health problems. As we learned, when we once had two pugs, we had Quick Trip and we had Costco Wholesale were our two pugs.
0: Which one had the knee replacement? They had so many
1: operations, mm. I don't even remember. They were like human medicine kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So They They had a lot. So pet insurance is a really messy area itself. A lot of it There's all the breed exclusions in a policy because the insurance sellers know, oh, that breed, if it's a purebred, has all these things that happen and they'll exclude this, exclude that, exclude the other. You talk to your vet and see what your vet's experience is because they know these insurance policies and they know which ones they have to turn to the owner of the dog. But sometimes they're
0: tied in with the vet too.
1: That is a possibility, but the vet will know, you know, we're going to tell you to get this one and then it's not going to pay anything. I mean, they're not going to want to alienate a customer. That's number one. Number two, we have a new updated guide to walk you through the oops and the what ifs in buying pet insurance policies. They are difficult though to buy well. I think about what I've read in consumer reports over the years. I can see that they have struggled trying to give good recommendations on pet insurance. It is a tough area, but I'll tell you that pug will bring so much joy into your what life. What
0: about other pet um, saving money tips? Well, we, you go
1: to vet schools. Well, if you live near one.
0: That's true. Instead of veterinary you know, care,
1: uh, dental schools, vets, mm-hmm. dental for humans. I'm talking about, but vet schools, I mean, any kind of school where, you know, they're supervised by an instructor and you have the students learning, uh, that is a great way, potentially, to save money.
0: Yeah, and buying used things, like if you buy your pet things like sweaters or other things, you can, and there's also, there are a lot of things online. You always buy your
1: pet sweaters at Aldi or Lidl. That's right,
0: you do that. Oh, yeah, I mean,
1: the Germans love their pets, and Aldi and Lidl sell every pet thing imaginable, and they sell them cheaper than anybody yeah. else.
0: And Kirkland Signature Pet Food, my vet says is a, is a fantastic dog food. We feed our dogs the lamb and rice one, which apparently is really a good one. And I've been supplementing it to save. I bought a bunch of sweet potatoes in bulk and cooked them. And I've been supplementing their food, not giving them as much and giving him half a sweet potato, which is very good for them too. So some people do make their own dog food. That's I know someone who does that all the time.
1: Do you know our dog named Kirkland Signature does not eat Kirkland Signature dog food?
0: I knew that, yeah
1: designer dog food.
0: Okay. Mindy in Hawaii says, what documents would you say are must-haves to protect your financial and health wishes? Susie Orman states that there are four documents everyone must have. A will, a revocable trust, a financial power of attorney, and durable power of attorney for health care. Do you agree we need all four of these? I've never heard of some of these and don't know if they're necessary.
1: So the revocable trust is uh, more for people that have Unusual situations or a lot of assets. They're worried about a variety of what ifs. Let's look at the other three that Susie Orman recommends. And she's missing one that I strongly recommend. First, having a will. Yes. So many people need a will who don't have one, who don't necessarily have a lot of assets, but especially people have children. And people have children without benefit of marriage. You absolutely better have a will stating what your wishes are in the event of the passing of your child. Uh, But regardless of yourself, of yourself. Yeah. uh, So who is taking care of that child? Thank you. Mm -hmm. The financial power of attorney. The idea of this is something that can be valuable in many situations. That is, if you're not able to act in your financial interest, you have this person who already has that status one of the cases where this is very important is an aging parent who's reluctant to give up any control, but later may reach a point that they don't have the mental acuity to even properly designate someone with financial power of attorney. It's something that people should do uh, while they still are fully lucid. The durable power of attorney for health care, absolutely Many states are state statutory forms. A durable power of attorney, depending on the state statute, usually is a messenger and a message. You have a representative representing you when you can't speak for yourself health-wise. These are very simple forms to fill out. And you're not putting a burden on your family members to figure it out. Because you'll say, I want all means or no means or whatever, depending on the circumstance. I want to be resuscitated. I don't want to be resuscitated in these situations and so you appoint that person who is your mouthpiece and you on the form tell your mouthpiece what to do.
0: When my dad was in the hospital recently I had this the directive for him and the person who was sort of checking him into the facility we were we were moved to misread it you know, and said to me out loud, oh, he wants, he doesn't want anything and any means of anything ever. And I was like, that is incorrect. And I read through the language and they fixed it, but I couldn't believe like even having that, like they misread it. It was crazy. Yeah. So you have to be careful. You have to have an advocate. But if you
1: don't have one of these forms, and let's say you don't want what Krista's dad wanted, a hospital or medical facility will do everything to avoid getting in trouble, getting sued, whatever, when that may not be your wishes. That's why that form is very important. On the any kind of trust, revocable, irrevocable, all That I'd say that's much more situational and again, generally higher income. So the one document that you didn't mention that she had said is a list of assets that you update at a time certain each year, whether it's your birthday or whatever, so that those who survive you have a clear understanding of what you have, where your accounts are, all that kind of thing, and that it's put in a place that whoever you're trusting to handle your will, that they are aware of where they find your updated list of assets. And that you do a video once a year of all the possessions in a walk and talk, probably at the same day that year, that you go around and you say, oh, I just got this new tv you're not going to believe how great it is no you just walk around and whatever you you got acquired if you remember what you paid for it you say that cuz that video record could be very important if you suffer a burglary or you have a fire or some other disaster and your stuff gets wiped out you want to get fair payment from your insurance company that was a lot. It was a lot. That was, that was like, oh, and
0: the trust thing is confusing. I think maybe on another podcast, you should go into that. There's so I'm many, I'm not different, a lawyer. I, I got to be careful yeah.
1: getting into that, that, that is real lawyer territory. Okay. I do want to give a special warning. A lot of people in the insurance business will start talking about this trust, that trust, the other trust. Don't trust them on that. Whether you need trust, that advice needs to come from a lawyer Best, a lawyer who does wills, estates, and trusts. Coming up ahead, speaking of investing, we're going to talk about target date funds, target retirement funds, what role they play in your life, and where you should never have them, not ever.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: does something wrong. It's upsetting, right? And uh, I really went after Vanguard, just one of my favorite children, a couple years ago because they messed up. They messed up. Vanguard never advised people that you should never put money in a target retirement fund or target date fund outside of a retirement account. 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, 403B, anything that's, that's a sheltered account. Because the very nature of a target date fund or target retirement fund is that as you get closer to that target, they change the mix of investing. So what can happen is it keeps generating taxes for you if you own it in a regular investment account. Well, most people kind of find their way to know that. But a lot of times people don't know and they're like, oh, this looks really like a great thing to be in. It's really diversified and it changes over time and stuff without understanding the tax implications. Well, Vanguard not only didn't tell people, Vanguard decided, hey, we're going to treat rich people differently than everybody else and we're going to change how we do these. And so we're going to sell out all these positions of rich people and move them to a cheaper class of shares. And what happened was all the tax burden fell on their non-rich customers. State of Massachusetts already did a settlement with Vanguard and they're paying over $6 million in restitution to people who got hit with these big tax bills. No other state has done so that I know of yet. And Vanguard has been fighting instead of settling federal lawsuit that a judge just accepted most of the claims and it's proceeding and Vanguard's still being defiant. And it's like having a petulant child. What are you doing, Vanguard? What are you doing? You messed up. You messed up. You hurt your members. Vanguard's like a co-op. It's like a credit union for investing. And you messed up. Just fess up and pay up. And don't mess up like this again. Period. For you, very important that you know what's appropriate to have in a regular investment account and what should be in a retirement account. The reason I love index funds and the ETF version of an index fund is there's not a lot of trading that goes on. So you're not generating current tax. And year after year, the value hopefully over long haul grows quite nicely being in like the total stock market index or broad stock market index or international index or that kind of thing. Ones that own hundreds or thousands of stocks, I prefer thousands. There's not a lot of trading. You're just going with capitalism here or overseas or a combination of the two, whatever. And those things are great vehicles inside an investment account because you're not having to worry about current tax. And when you sell it way down the road, when you want the money to do down payment on a house or do this or do that or do the other, or use later in retirement, you're taxed at much more favorable what's known as capital gains tax. You don't want things that generate current tax because it hurts your long-term wealth. And you don't want things that cause what's known as ordinary income tax. So that's why in an investment account, you have to be very careful what you own in it. In a retirement account, you don't have to worry about taxes till you spend the money. And if you're in a Roth version of a retirement account, you don't have to worry about taxes. You just get the money. So Vanguard, you messed up. Fess up, pay up, case closed. And it's just too bad for the Vanguard customers I'm not the judge because I would eat you up.
0: <laughs> okay. Alan in Oklahoma says my children seven and under received a generous gift from a relative in the form of stock transferred directly into a custodial account. Are capital gains taxes applied to gifts. What is the best thing to do with that stock to avoid a large tax burden for them in the future while also not creating a large burden for us right now. Thanks for all you do. I've been listening since before these kids were born.
1: Wow. Okay, Alan. I got great news for you, followed by great news and more great news. All right. So, unless the gift was really, really generous, there's no gift implications at all. Um, it was last year, I think 17000 you can give to any one individual. This year, it might be 18000 I should know that. Anyway, the gift they received from the relative in the form of stock stays as existing stock, And the basis on it is back to what the relative originally paid for it, at least as tax law stands now as I understand it. And then there's no tax on it of any meaning till they later sell that stock way down the road. And again, it'll be that favorable capital gains tax I just happened to be talking about when I was picking on one of my favorite children, Vanguard. So the capital gains is far later kids may have a little dividend income each year that may have a little bit of tax on it but much better to pay that tax because it means you had income so it's all a good thing all the way around no burden from this
0: it was 18,000 for 2024 actually it is it 20 is 18,000 yeah, for we 2024
1: so mm-hmm. i was right
0: 17 becomes 18 yep Okay, Matt in Texas says, Hey, Mr. Howard. Just Ooh, kidding. Oh, mean. Is there a rule of thumb or guidance on selecting a Roth 401k versus a traditional? I'm married and jointly our gross income is over 500000 Taking your advice, great? yeah, wow. Taking your advice, we pay ourselves first. We both currently max out our traditional 401ks as well as our backdoor Roths. And we have various other after-tax investments with your favorite children via index and ETF funds, which in total is about equal to our 401k contributions. Great. We agree with you when you say taxes are only ever likely to go up. So would it be better to move the 401k to post-tax or keep it as is and diversify with some pre-tax contributions?
1: So... Earning half a million a year, you're bumping up against the max tax bracket, which at federal is 37%. So for you, it's marginal to go Roth. You could do a mixed bag portfolio. There's real advantage having money pre-tax and post-tax. But in your case, it's not a big argument to be made for going post-tax Roth 401k, instead of just doing pre-tax traditional. There are some taxes, and you obviously have been saving a lot of money. There's some taxes you face later in life if you go traditional. In addition to the tax you owe on it, there's some backdoor taxes you're charged as well. So this one's hard. If I were to give a crazy suggestion, I'm going crazy here, Uh-oh. <laughs> where normally I push people so heavily to do Roth, do some mix. Maybe you go 25% in the Roth 401k and 75% traditional. Or if you have an accountant, have the accountant run simulations for you recommending the proper mix. Because accountants, if you don't say, well, if now versus later, Accounts often say, well, you'll save all this money now, but you really need to think about the if later and that tax rates are unusually low and the deficits we're running are crazy high and that bill's going to have to be paid someday. So that's why having at least some amount of that money in the Roth version of the 401k I like.
0: Todd in Florida says, Do you have any feedback on how useful or not moving from mint that I've used the last decade plus to Credit Karma is? Credit Karma really seems to be lacking in some things and has more ads. And is it worth it to move in to an inferior, less full product just to get marketed
1: to by Intuit? <sighs> Intuit, you annoyed me. And you are not one of my favorite children. No. It's funny because Intuit does this. They'll buy something, they'll say, Oh, that was nice. Then they Mm -hmm. shut it down. and So if you don't
0: know, mint.com was discontinued and now they're...
1: Yeah, so people are looking for a new budgeting home. If you're really trying to get a handle on controlling your spending, without doubt, YNAB is the one that's far and away and you have to pay for it. You need a budget is what YNAB stands for. And it has done wonders for people who are, are motivated, have felt out of control and get control back. People like Quick and Simplify. They're just looking for the similarity, kind of similar experience, kind of to what you had with Mint. There's Pocket Guard. There's Honeydew, which is H-O-N-E-Y-D-U-E. And you didn't mention Empower. Empower. So there are others out there. None of them had any real market share, but now people have to go look for a new home. So look at the various ones and see what you think. And where you might end up. And it also, again, it depends on your own circumstance. If you really need that control more with your spending, you need to spend less money. YNAB seems to do the trick.
0: And that list you're reading, that's, we have a, on Clark.com, a best budgeting apps guide, and it reviews all of these. So great place to look and see what they're all about.
1: You know it's coming up tomorrow? Oh, I do. It's Clark Stinks time tomorrow. <laughs> you get to hear on tomorrow's podcast how I messed up. Like uh, I was talking about Vanguard messing up. You get to hear how I messed up. See, it's important for an organization or an individual to say, oops. And I we get did to hear it again. <laughs> you doing a Britney Spears song
0: now? Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you got that pop reference.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, it's a pop reference from how many decades ago? Still,
0: you claim to not know anyone.
1: Anything current, I know nothing. Yeah. But, I mean, except I do know about Travis Kelsey and um, Taylor, Swift. Taylor Swift. Oh,
0: my gosh. Well. I fooled Clark, everyone. I fooled him. We were on a meeting one day, and I did. You might have seen this. Some people have been doing it to their husbands and their wives, and the opposite. I said, Clark, you know, there's this guy, Travis Kelsey is his name, and he He's a football player, but nobody knew who he was. And now he's dating Taylor Swift and he's becoming famous. And you were like, no, everyone knew who he was. And you were so upset. People were doing videos doing this, like of their husbands or wives or the the guys will say, Hey, there's this singer and um, she's dating Travis Kelsey. Now everybody's, she's getting really famous. Taylor Swift. And the reactions are hilarious. Okay. So
1: truth be told, I don't know any Taylor Swift songs. Don't know anything about her other than what a great businesswoman she is. Could never get her, I would always get her confused with somebody else who became a famous woman musician at the same era. Name somebody oh gosh, else Clark. who was on, I don't uh, want to get in trouble. she was on one of those singing shows. Anyway. I don't know. Uh, I always Kelly Clarkson? Not, not her.
0: Okay. Who did you name? Carrie
1: Underwood? That's her. Okay. That's, wow. I always get those two confused because I don't the know. The
0: Swifties are going to come after you
1: now. No, I don't know anything. But no. Taylor Swift is an incredible businesswoman.
0: And she, artist. She's amazing. Well, she I really don't is. know any of her music. I'm just there. telling you, she is. She She's is. Amazing. She's.
1: I mean, let me tell you, given those truck drivers, $100,000 bonuses, mm-hmm. I love that. The fact that she, did, she didn't allow all the the music industry people to run her life for her mm-hmm. they work for her she doesn't work for them
0: yes I think well, clark that's,
1: so that's all i know about <laughs> I, everything i know i know from you know the financial times and the wall street journal and barons and i'm a very dull man really it's true but what's also true clark stinks is tomorrow <laughs> if anyone's still listening <laughs> And hope you have a wonderful day. And remember what we're about. Save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. And Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift.